We're both big fans of your forgeries. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't ask me to make you a fake ID. That's a question for the show. Now that you're out there. Chase Chase will just lead it off. Yeah, okay. The amazing new Westport Library and iTunes proudly presents Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast with me, Trace Burroughs. And me, Megs Burroughs. And I'll hand it back to Trace to do the introductions. And today we have with us Ross McDonald, who has a very unique um, and interesting um, biography. Uh, first, he, he, he he's created tens of thousands of props for motion pictures and television going back 25 years. We'll discuss that after the intro. Um, he's a prolific illustrator, children's book uh, illustrator. I don't know if you write those books too. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Product design and, and comic design. Did I leave anything out? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I think that covered it all. I used to be an egg candler, but I, I, I let that fall by the wayside. A what? An egg what? Egg candler. I don't even, okay. That, that was one of my first jobs when I was in high school. It's, uh, I was working on a mom and pop chicken farm and the least gross job I had on that was uh, you, you hold eggs up to a light just to make sure that if the yolks have sunk down, they're too old to sell. Oh, um. I don't even know if they do that anymore. But <clears throat> So for, unfortunately, this is just an audio podcast and people can't see um, the awesome props you've made. But if they go to your website, Ross dash, not underscore, but dash McDonald, MacDonald.com, they can see some of those props and, and, and they're amazing. Um, probably something that a lot of people who watch movies never think about, like w- when those props pass their eyes, it could be for a few moments, seconds, minutes. Um, they just take it for granted. <laughs> they don't think about the details behind making a, a motion picture. Um, so I have a question to start off with. How did you get into this? What was your f- like first paper prop that you were asked to do? Well, the first... Uh, thing I did for a major motion picture was uh, a faux 1930s children's book for Baby's Day Out, which was made back in 1993. It's a John Hughes movie. Um, and the plot revolves around a baby that gets kidnapped, and his favorite book is about a baby's trip to the big city. And the kidnappers take him to the big city. And how we know what the baby's thinking is the, uh, you know, they keep cutting back and forth between the real city that the baby is seeing and scenes that he remembers from his favorite book. Um, so you see a lot of that throughout the, the movie. So on that, I had to work on set for six months and, um, you know, work pretty closely with the uh, filmmakers because everything had to match the, the backgrounds and the sets and um, uh, went back to New York after six months and thought, you know, that was really fun. I'll never do anything like that again. But uh, all the guys that I'd worked with over that six month period went on to other movies and, you know, they would occasionally call me to help out with something here and there. And it kind of snowballed from that. So in a, in a film, who hires you, the director or the prop, the set, does, uh, the, the set decorator? What, what? How do you? Well, typically I get hired by the prop master, sometimes by the set decorator. Uh, in that case, I was hired by the producer, uh, the producers uh, for Baby's Day Out, and had to fly out and meet everybody and sort of, you know, 
show my credentials. Um, you know, occasionally I'll be uh, working with someone else on the crew, but most of the work I do is for the prop master. Props are anything that an actor handles in a movie. So it can be anything from, you know, watches, glasses, rings, that kind of stuff to uh, books, you know, in my case, it's mostly paper props. So it's books, documents, maps, you know, playing cards, paintings, you know, anything with graphics on it. Um, I, I do, you know, the technical term is graphics props or sometimes graphic props, singular. Um, so I don't do stuff like guns and cars and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, it's just graphic stuff. And like you mentioned earlier, it's, you know, the kind of stuff that people just assume they just went out and bought somewhere. Uh, or maybe the actors brought it with them in their pockets. Lots of stuff to make, you know. Yeah, the actors aren't responsible for bringing their own props. But, uh, yeah, sorry, go okay. ahead. Okay, oh no, I'm just, I was going to say, I'm a, I don't know if you've done anything for Law & Order TV show or any? No, I have not. I have okay. not done anything for Law & Order. And any other, well, I'm a fan of Law & Order, so, but just in before I even knew you, your profession existed and you existed. I was intrigued and I'm sure you've done this. So I'm curious what your, you know, how this works is, you know, they, they pull out folders from a file cabinet and they look through it and there's papers and papers or there's a diary. So when you do a diary, let's say, and there's only, you know, page six is being shown. Do you fill, do you fill out the whole diary? So it's like authentic. I do. I do it. That's a, uh... The 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 thing that you see on screen is called hero. That's the that's the term they use. It's it's a verb. It's a noun. Um, so the hero prop is the diary, and the hero spread is that spread that you see. Um, now, typically, I mean, sometimes with new people that I work with, they'll say, "We just need the hero spread. We don't need anything else. It can be blank." But I always make more than they asked for. Because I've been on set where actors have gone, well, wait, you know, the rest of the book is blank. You know, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, there's <laughs> no room for uh, mm. any kind of improvisation, which happens a lot. You know, they'll be doing a scene as it's written and realize it's, it's not working out. Uh, we need, you know, let's try it a different way. And if the prop is, you know, 99% blank, uh, it really limits what they can do. So yeah, I typically make whatever it is we need on the hero spread, and then I'll do what's called a hero section, which might be 20 pages on either side of the hero spread that looks really good. And then the rest of the pages I will fill out, you know, if it's an inch thick diary, I'll fill them out with something I've, I've pulled from another diary I've created. So it's just, it's, it's, yeah. it's got words on the page, but it, in no way relates to, you know, the actual diary that the guy's supposed to be reading. Is it just like Laura Mipson type of stuff? Just that Greeking? I never use Greeking, no. I, I, I use, no. I mean, I've created so many props uh, over the years that I've, I can just go back in my files. One thing that I use a lot is for a movie called, uh, oh God, Infamous. A movie called Infamous, which was about Truman Capote and the In Cold Blood killings. Uh, yes. I had to create huge amounts of Truman Capote handwriting. Uh, they wanted the entire written handwritten manuscript for In Cold Blood. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So. So you had to do the entire manuscript. I, I did not do the entire manuscript. Oh, they wanted the entire manuscript. Oh, oh, oh. I, I did about, you know, maybe 50 pages and then repeated them. And I just thought either they're going to call me back in, in a rage or they'll, they won't even check. And sure right. enough, they, they didn't even check. It's like, you know, when you're in school and the teacher assigns you to write out something 500 times and, yeah, and you write it out a hundred and and just sort of hand it in and hope it looks they don't. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're never going to count. Oh. So I, I did that, but you know the end result is I had fifty good pages of Truman Capote handwriting that wow. I can use. You know, over, I've used it over and over on, on as non-hero pages in in all kinds of props and files, like you said, and um, you know any legal documents where there's a lot of handwriting stuff like that. So it, it's come in handy. And, and you know, occasionally, uh, like if I'm supposed to be doing three or four pages of a hero uh, diary or book or letter or something, um, I might create just an extra maybe three or four pages. So I get a total of six pages. Uh, so often that stuff will be good enough to you know, in the case where somebody has a lot of letters or something, I can, I've got enough of that stuff that I can pull together, you know, a good hundred pages of, of different examples of handwriting to, to reuse over and over and over at this point. But, you know, originally I had to create them for stuff. So if you, um, you do a movie that it's like from 1920s and it's a, a typewriter, someone's typing out or, you, or a finished page of type which has a message that's important in the movie and it, you know there's different brands there's different you know type slightly different looks faces on those metal keys and all that so you have to go out and get like a typewriter from that era to to make yeah. an authentic document i do i have about uh five typewriters here so i can use uh, one of the typewriters i have um it depends on the on the show and how hero the prop is, like how close up we're going to see it. Um, 85% of the time, we don't really know in advance. No one knows. The director doesn't even know really how, how much they're going to use the prop. There's a lot of decisions that are kind of made on the fly. And so I, unless it's really, really... Um, you know, locked in that we're only going to see this thing in the background or something like that. I always assume that it's going to be used in a close up. Mm -hmm. uh, but having said that, if I'm doing a typewritten manuscript, let's say I just did a typewritten manuscript for a film and I did one hero page that I actually did in a typewriter. And then a lot of the filler pages that I created, I created digitally using typewriter fonts. I have some pretty good fonts that look real. And then I can do stuff like I, if I print a lot of the paper that you buy nowadays is inkjet printer friendly. So the paper is treated with stuff so that when the inkjet printer prints on it, it prints really crisp. Uh, so what I'll do, do is I'll use some vintage paper that I pulled out of an old print shop. So I'll get some old, vin, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old bond paper. None of that stuff is inkjet friendly. So you run it through an inkjet printer uh, with a typewritten font and the inkjet printing bleeds slightly into the paper. So it creates a very authentic looking typewriter look. Uh, 
you know, you can really tell the difference between a real typewriter and something that's printed on good paper out of an inkjet printer. Mm -hmm. But if you fool around a little bit with, with stuff like that, you can create a fairly good replica of the real thing using digital stuff. Because, I mean, a lot of times these things are, the turnaround time on props can be hours. Um, you know, days is the norm, uh, but weeks is really rare. And I might be working on five or six things at once. So there's not a lot of time to sit there and type stuff out uh, on a typewriter. Especially since, you know, I took typing in high school, but I'm not that good at typer. <laughs> how, many <laughs> word, how many words a minute did you do? Was your I, in high school, I did 35, but I... 35? Oh, that's pretty good. Well, you yeah, know. not great. I know yeah. people do 90. I'm um, curious about your, for, you know, I referenced forgery jokingly, but I mean, can you forge signatures? Like if you had to do a letter signed by Thomas Edison, can you find you forged Thomas Edison's signature? Yeah, I've forged uh, Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. Um, and a lot of times with the handwriting, uh, I'll have to research and get examples of the person's handwriting, real handwriting. Hmm. In the case of Truman Capote, I had a researcher go to the New York Public Library where all the Truman Capote uh, papers are and pull uh, and photocopy all kinds of samples of his handwriting. And then I studied them. And what I typically do is I create a, an alphabet of caps and lowercase letters. And that's sort of my cheat sheet. I'll put that beside the piece of paper that I'm writing on, along with a couple of pages of you know the person's real handwriting. And then I will uh, just very slowly write like them. You know, oftentimes I'm creating new uh, dialogue that they've never written. So it's not like you can even trace it or, or anything like that. You're actually having to write in that person's style of handwriting. In Truman Capote's case, he did, he had really scattered handwriting. He would switch in mid word, he would switch from uh, block caps to uh, script. And the script would, you know, swing left and then right. It was all over the place. So, which was great because it made it, you know, mm. easier to replicate because uh, it is really, really hard. When somebody has, one of the characters in the movie was the, um, uh, one of the In Cold Blood killers, uh, Perry. He was known to have beautiful handwriting. He'd, you know, been trained in school like people were in, at that time. And he had beautiful handwriting. And I have terrible handwriting, you know, so my own style of handwriting looks like, you know, I, I learned it in grade two and then never, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I'm having to replicate someone's beautiful handwriting. And it, it's just agonizing. Mm. It's agonizing. <laughs> I had to write something like 300 letters for that same film. Uh, a lot of those were from Perry. And so, yeah, it's not easy. I'm not a, I, I, I know there are people who can just do it really easily and quickly. I'm not one of those. It's hard work. In your field, is there a lot of competition for the same type of work that you do or how much you have like competitors? Uh, I guess so. I mean, there are people whose job it is uh, to be graphic designers who are hired on crew, they're union guys. Um, and a lot of times I'm working on shows where they have a, a either a one guy or sometimes several guys working in the art department 
in the office um, and they hire me as an outside guy. I'm not, I'm not union. Uh, but, and there are prop houses, you know, there's prop houses in, uh, in New York, there's prop houses out in LA that have their own art departments. So these are, you know, freestanding companies that create props for movies and they're hired as outside contractors. They will have their own art departments. Um, so there's a lot of different people all over the place doing similar stuff. Um, but one of the things, see, I come from a printing background. I started out as a printer when I was a teenager and I got, um, I was working in small print shops. Letterpress? Like I was doing letterpress. Yep. I started a letterpress company with my, with my brother. This is up in Toronto. I'm from Canada originally. And when you, you know, in those days there were no inkjet printers, no laser printers. Everybody who wanted something, multiple copies of something had to go to a small print shop. And a lot of times people would bring in jobs and they'd need a graphic of some kind. Like, can you do a little decoration? Can you draw a picture of this, draw a picture of that? And a lot of times if you work in a print shop and you, you know, are halfway good at drawing stuff, people will say, oh yeah, you know, we, we'll get the kid in the back to draw it, you know? <laughs> and so I was a kid in the back doing the little drawings and um, I kind of transitioned slowly into doing illustration work uh, and got completely out of printing. And it was through my illustration work many years later that I got hired uh, to work in movies, but having that print background turned out to be really handy. And I got back into printing here in my shop uh, right around the same time I'd worked on Baby's Day Out, I started getting back into collecting little bits of letterpress equipment and eventually built up a whole letterpress shop, which I have downstairs. And, um, and a lot of the graphic designers who work in the movie industry do not have any print background at all. Some of them do, the really good ones do, but a lot of them don't. And it can be a bit of a handicap when you're required to produce a printed thing, you know? A lot of these people, if it's just something they can print out on the inkjet printer in the office, they're good. But if they have to replicate a book or, you know, a map, anything more complicated, uh, they don't, they just don't have the equipment or the wherewithal in the art department and the movie set. So uh, that's kind of something that I have that a lot of people don't have. And plus, just the knowledge of printing history um, comes in handy a lot for uh, uh, period stuff. So I have a, a very wide knowledge of what fonts were in use, what technology uh, was in use at different time periods, how newspapers were printed in the 1930s and how that's different from when, how they were printed in the 1880s and um, you know, what typefaces uh, were available for uh, linotype machines, which were used in the, the printing and uh, the newspaper industry and the book industry, uh, as opposed to what, you know, a small printer might be using in his shop where he would be using handset, you know, stuff like that. There was a time no one cared about <laughs> any of that, you know, <laughs> it was just like, yeah, make it look good. You know, no one cared. Uh, but now everybody is very concerned that everything looked dead on, you know, the directors and, and the prop masters and everything want to have it look exactly right. Graphics are much more important now than they used to be. 
I have one obsession with in movies, and I don't know if you've ever done these when you know, like in the Da Vinci Code or something, some satanic journal, and there's right. this crazy psychotic scribblings and and designs and you know diagrams. Have you ever done those? And oh, where does yeah. that? And what? I have, yeah. And, yeah. And, where, and where does that? Where's this? Where does that come from? Where do those psychotic scribblings? How, how where do they? How do you generate them? Mentally. Well, I mean, you know. Yeah, I. So that's a whole uh, kind of subgenre of of movie props, the the crazy occult book. Um, and you see a lot of movies, especially older movies, that have their version of that is what I call the bed knobs and broomsticks book. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's got a crazy rolling eyeball on the cover and <laughs> yeah, right. big, big stitches, and it's yeah. like, where the hell did that come from? You know. And my thing is, I always think that uh, there's enough craziness in the real historic examples of books that you don't need to make up or add on any zaniness. Um, So, I mean, if you look on my website, if you look in the movie props section, there's uh, one of the things listed is a movie called Walpurgisnacht, which is German for Witch's Night. And I created a really large book for that. And the book is sort of in the in the storyline is sort of this evil entity. Uh, it kind of gives off this vibe of you know evil and horror. Um, one of the details that's listed is that it's bound in human skin, um, and part of its backstory is that it was buried in a coffin with a witch. So a lot of times, one thing that people don't realize is scripts don't have a lot in the way of description. It's not the scriptwriter's job to describe everything. Any notes that are in there are really, really minimal. Um, so when you get something like that, it's it's great to have a little bit in the script to build on. But a lot of times you're just trying to figure it out on your own. You, and you really do have to make up the backstory of the prop, especially a complicated prop, prop like that. Um, so in that case, I mean, the bound in human skin thing I didn't want to do, you know, over the top craziness, like, you know, that just screamed, this book is bound in human skin, you know, with a face, the eye hole stitched closed or something. Um, But I wanted to sort of uh, hint at that. And what I did was I I stretched goat skin, because I couldn't find anybody willing to volunteer. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't have any old lampshades in the house? Yeah, nothing. So I, 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 had a, I bound the book in leather and then I stretched another piece of leather over it and tacked it to the front and back cover. So it's, it's look, it looks like somebody tried to stretch a piece of leather that was too small and they tacked it on with copper tacks and it, it's kind of wrinkled around the tacks and stuff. And then I stained it just enough to make it look like something you didn't, on, you didn't want to handle without gloves on. You know, it kind of mm-hmm. looked like they just pulled it out of the coffin with the rotting corpse. Um, and it, and the design of the hardcover binding is based on real uh, 15th century books. And then all the interior stuff, all the interior pages are filled with, you know, crazy notes and diagrams and all kinds of stuff, but they're all taken from real sources. There's a, um, a 15th century book. I believe it's uh no, no, it's actually a 16th century book, late 1500s. 
uh, I think it's on Rosicrucianism or something, something along those lines. It has tons of crazy diagrams, lots of uh, interconnected circles and spirals with arcane symbols written, and it's real, it's all real. So I pulled tons and tons of images from uh, actual books and I collaged them. And, in, and I added stuff just for fun. Typically I like to stay you know, true to whatever period that the book is supposed to be from. Uh, but for this book, just for fun, I collaged in elements from old uh, radio schematics <laughs> and uh, 19th century uh, botanical diagrams and stuff. So they're all kind of layered together. Uh, and then stuck to the pages are little scraps of paper with handwritten notes in like Latin and you know, different real, uh, you know, alphabets and languages, but they're just like torn scraps as if they'd been torn out of another manuscript and it was something relevant to the page and whoever it was had stuck it in. And then I put in all kinds of like pressed flowers and bird feathers and crazy stuff like that. So it's all the real stuff, um, but it's just how you bring it, how you put it all together you know, to create the vibe that the, the director is looking for. Um, so it's the kind of thing where on screen, as they're turning pages, you're getting pretty good looks at all this crazy stuff, but not for long enough to go, hey, that's a, that's a schematic for an amplifier. <laughs> diode. Yeah, yeah, What's clearly it's diode. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's kind of fun. I mean, in that case, I. I kind of went nuts. It was a, a very small production. Um, and I just, you know, I, I just had a little fun with sticking in weird stuff like that, that, uh, you know, I knew no one was ever going to see, but typically I try to stay really true to whatever time period we're in, you know, almost obsessively. So. So has as we mentioned before the show started, has any criminal element ever asked you, like, could you make me like a fake passport or, or something? Like I, that? I have not been asked to make face, fake passports. I, I have had a couple of weird requests and they were um, trying to feel me out, you know, it was, but it was apparent that they were asking me for, you know, something. And it was, it was something to do with somebody needed to have something in their file or like their work history file and it had to look like a real thing and they sort of couched it in terms of oh you know i lost the original <laughs> or, you know, stuff like that but no yeah no bearer bonds or passports or anything like i that. lost my diploma from harvard yeah, yeah. <laughs> can yeah. you enjoy a movie i'm curious can you can you enjoy a movie without scrutinizing somebody else's props and going you know yeah i i do both at the same time uh you know if i'm I, you know, having worked in movies for so long, I know a lot about how they're put together too. So I'll be looking at stuff and going, okay, well, you know, that's a set or that's the location or that cutaway shot was filmed, you know, a month later. You can tell the leaves and the trees are different, you know, stuff like that. But typically I let myself get completely sucked into the movie and it's only when something is really noticeable or if it's, you know, a paper prop like I make, I'll really kind of stop and scrutinize it for a second. 
Um, yeah, if you could, that was yeah. one. If you could see a font like somebody uses, you know, some font that you know was created in 1930 and they're using it in a, in a 1910. Yeah. Have you ever caught anyone? You've got details. Have you caught? Yeah. Yeah. I, I stuff like that. It's just like getting punched in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it's really when it's really out of 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 its own time. Hmm. It's so annoying. And it, like, especially when you're seeing, you know, movies that are supposed to be set in the 19th century and they're using digital fonts, yeah, on, yeah, yeah. you know, it just, it's just like, yeah, you don't want to watch a movie with me, you know, and <laughs> lots of groaning when the paper props come up, like, oh, no, God. Um, but, you know, mostly people are getting it right these days. You know, you see less and less in that. There was a time when, you know, the, the designer who was working on the crew would just sort of go, oh, yeah, you know, it looks kind of old timey. And everybody would go, yeah, that looks great, you know. But now everybody's like, are you sure these fonts were from that time period? And because everybody's been embarrassed, I think, you know. They, they've had, they've been called out on their bad props. Because <laughs> oh. everybody, everybody can freeze frame stuff and scrutinize it more. Yeah. I'm always whenever those things are they like again you know some movie they're opening a folder on some criminal or something I'm 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 desperate to read you know and there's never enough time but I want I'm trying to look and see what's really in there yeah anyway, a lot of times it's really real it's all it's yeah. all researched it's all real uh you know there that's another thing I groan about is seeing a prop that I spent uh two weeks on and it just flashes by in the oh. background you know or the file folder doesn't get opened and you've yeah, oh God. got 50 pages of heavily oh, researched oh. <laughs> So we're, we're out of time. I, it's unbelievable it went past by so fast. So we want to say your website again? Uh, it's ross-macdonald.com. All right. Well, yeah, it's fascinating. Really, yeah, fascinating. And now I don't think anybody will ever see a look at a movie, <laughs> movie the same, same way. way. And yeah. then be freezing. Uh, well, now with, you know, with Netflix, we can freeze frame and, and right. that. Yeah, yeah, that's changed the game. Everybody can, can become an expert on props now. Sure. Well, thanks a lot, Ross.